The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello everyone, internet, Roto World's Josh Norris here with another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. We got some more reviews, I will read them the next time with Evan Silva, I'm not prepared this time, I'm, I'm sadly um, sorry about that, um, but at least we do have Evan Silva here. Um, and I thank you all for rating and reviewing, subscribing, doing all that great stuff. I'd heard that there's this little podcast out there called Setting the Edge Podcast. Um, two guys that are trying to make a name for themselves out there in the, the football world that are saying that, you know, we need more five-star reviews than Josh Norris. Um, let's not make that happen. Come on. You can help us out. It takes 20 seconds. Leave one on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you want to do. It really does help us out, and it, it kind of keeps the setting the edge guys down in their rightful place. Um, but on more important issues, the NFL Combine just happened. And as always, no matter how big of a percentile you think the Combine should matter in the process, it really does matter. And there are plenty of takeaways, and there's no one else to talk about it better with me right now than Evan Silva. Evan, um, did you leave your desk for those four days of the Combine, or once the offensive skill players finished where did you enjoy your what Sunday and Monday after that uh I mean like you know before like I had a kid I would have just been plastered to my couch okay Uh, so I I can't live my life like that anymore yeah but uh yeah I mean I was plastered to my couch as much as I possibly (laughs) could (laughs) you know it's better than just being plastered um all right I guess it's not I guess the right place to start, um, and I should say this, the the way that athletic testing with, in general, with any position, a lot of people call attention to the top athletes and want to bump them up. But in my opinion, just as important as recognizing the top athletes, it's recognizing the non-NFL caliber athletes. Um, because in many cases you don't you don't want those on your NFL roster or a NFL roster because many times they don't make it. So I guess the right place to start with that, Evan, is Dalvin Cook. Um, according to Zach Whitman, who does Three Sigma Athlete and these composite scores, most importantly the Spark scores, um, he tested in the ninth percentile. That means 91% of NFL running backs entering the league since 1999 are more athletic than Dalvin Cook. Um We've talked about Dalvin Cook in the past, Evan. Does this change at all your mindset and your um, evaluation of his game? 
I think that it's a puzzle piece. And I think that my takeaways after watching him play is a puzzle piece. And I think that his production at the college level is a puzzle piece. And I think that his off-field red flags and the fact that he had three career shoulder surgeries is a puzzle piece. And I think the fact that he had 14 fumbles in college, including six last season, are a puzzle piece. And I think that another puzzle piece, when we evaluate him from a fantasy football standpoint, will be where he is actually drafted. Mm -hmm. And I still think that he's a good player and that he is likely to be a quality NFL starter. Um, But I think that his draft stock could be negatively impacted uh, whereas at one point people were like mocking him I think in like the top 10 yeah. of the draft uh, the top 10 picks I don't think that that is likely at all and I think that we could see him slip out of the second round uh, because teams will take a holistic view of Dalvin Cook um, and not just get tied up I think in one piece of the puzzle because there are many pieces of the puzzle yep. um but i mean I, I still think he's a good player and i still love your comparison to, to d'angelo williams um i think that you made some good points on, on how he is a little bit straight line-ish i think and i think that like w- w- when i was watching him i put in my notes that i thought he was one of the first things i put in my notes was that i thought he was a, a like a one cut zone running back and I think that he will still be coveted by teams that have that style of a running game. How you mention it and how you put it with the puzzle pieces, I think, is, is a great way of stating it. A lot of people say, well, the NFL Combine is just 10% of my evaluation or 20%. I, I don't put percentiles on it. It's kind of just a, a fluid situation and evaluation is, and it's different for every single case. Um, I obviously still love Dalvin Cook's game. I have for two years. I will continue to love Dalvin Cook's game. I think it's not impossible to question the type of production that he put up, but no one did it better in 2015 than Dalvin Cook. I mean, again, he put on the same run that Ezekiel Elliott did in that four-game stretch when Ohio State won the championship, and he did it for the entire season, put the team on his back completely. But you mentioned, and and not just from a fantasy perspective, but from a a team-building perspective here, are you really going to take a running back who tested in in the ninth percentile with the fumbling issues, with the three shoulder surgeries, with whatever else comes up in this interview process in the first round at a position that has theoretically been devalued? I, I don't think so. I think that he absolutely does slide out of the first round now, and maybe that's us being reactive. But um, to me, when you look at it from that whole with ev- all those pieces intertwined and, and, and mixed in, it's not like he is clearly the most talented running back in this class at all. In fact, we're going to get to some of these other names. The other names now, to me, look a lot shinier than, than he, he does and, and a lot cleaner than he does because, and Zach pointed this out again, no running back has been selected, I believe, under the 25th percentile in the first round since 1999, at the very least since 1999. Are you going to be the one team, and and who knows, Dalvin Cook maybe changes this at his pro day, but are you going to be the one team that does spend a first-round pick on a running back that tests in the ninth percentile of athleticism? Again, love his game, but that's just another question you have to consider. And I think that we're still in a learning phase, and I think the NFL teams are still very much in a learning phase. I mean, you, you hear coaches talk about this. Like, they don't 
I mean, they're not paying attention to college players during that, you know, during the football season, like they're worrying about their own teams. A lot of times, you know, the first impressions will be made at the senior bowl. The first impressions for a lot of them, you know, the, for, for guys that don't go to the senior bowl, they will be made at the combine. Yep. Uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily like have their, their minds made up uh, entering all these events. You know, they don't have everything figured out right now. Um, so, and you know, they're learning about Dalvin Cook's medical history and how many times he put the ball on the ground and, you know, whether or not they think he can pass block yep. in the NFL. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a learning process and, uh, we, we are learning, and so are NFL teams. And people make fun of the term draft stock a lot. And sure, in some situations it's, it's used incorrectly, and it is um, the media catching up on some evaluations that teams have. But in this case, Evan, I think it's absolutely a real thing because you mentioned it. I mean, in the fall, the area scouts will have their round projections, their evaluations um, just on his play, and obviously all the information that they gathered throughout the process. And then you mentioned it. I mean, the coaches come in at the senior bowl time, and especially right now with all these underclassmen, and then there are cross-check grades. There's all different grades, and there's a final grade put onto it by the GM, by the head coach, whoever the decision makers are, and then he finally goes on the board. It is a fluid process, and as you mentioned, we really are um, still picking up these vital pieces of information. Who else stood out for you, either positive or negatively, from the combine from this running back group? And the scouts who – are concerned about the players all year long, they have no power. They have exactly. no decision-making power. They, they just submit a report, you know, to the guys who actually do have power. Right. Um, so the, the, but, the only grade that matters yeah. in the end is that one they put up two weeks before the draft when they have those final meetings, like all this stuff about, Hey, this guy's here on this team's board in January or February. It's complete BS. It's rubbish. It really doesn't matter in a lot of situations. And again, it matters in those final meetings in those two to three weeks before the draft actually happens. So. Uh, I think that Leonard Fournette, what he did at the combine was pretty much exactly what we could have expected after watching him, uh, you know, elite speed score, um, big body dude with incredible straight line speed yep. and questions about his overall athleticism. His 28 and a half inch vertical was like that of an offensive lineman. Uh, he struggled in pass catching drills, uh, which is a question about him, of course, coming out of LSU. Um, you know, I, I think that he's probably still very likely to be the first running back drafted and the team that selects him will want to build its offense around him. And so I think that those are, are those, those factors bode well for him. Uh, but I think that what we saw on, on tape from Leonard Fournette was very much reflected in his workout. And we don't have a full workout on him yet because we don't have his three right. cone or 20 yard short shuttle, which will come at the LSU pro day. We don't have that same, those same numbers for Alvin Kamara, but hey, hey, let me ask you, yeah, how do you ahead. think that Leonard Fournette will do like in the three cone and the, the, the agility drills? I'd be surprised if it's above average. I, I think you can expect anything from average so to I. below average. I mean, Leonard Fournette, I, like you mentioned, I, I think he's a, a great straight line athlete with insane straight line speed and burst and explosion in that area. And he can create big plays. And I think his ability to pick up three to five extra yards on final contact or whatever it is, is one of his strongest assets. Um, I really do think, though, Evan, because for some, the 28-and-a-half-inch vertical or the pass catching or whatever, his his inability or, or lack of ability to be great in, on shotgun runs um, could lead, and I think that this is a 
a situation that could pop up, um, that teams walked in or a general manager walked into his office on Tuesday morning and thought to himself, well, rather than take Dalvin Cook, rather than take Leonard Fournette in the top 20, whatever, why don't we wait until the later part of the first round, trade an extra third-round pick, move up from our second-round pick, and get Christian McCaffrey or even Alvin Kamara later in that first-round area um, and get that fifth-year option on their name. Because I think that, and again, the NFL loves Alvin Kamara much more than we do, much more than Twitter.com does. In fact, Evan, I wouldn't be surprised if Alvin Kamara is the first running back off the board. Um, And Christian McCaffrey is right there with him, and even better in my opinion. So to me, I wouldn't be surprised if they feel that those are the quote-unquote safer options and you still get that fifth-year option while really just giving up like third or a fourth-round pick to move up a few spots from your second-rounder. Yeah, I think that McCaffrey was a winner in Indy. In Indy, uh, he measured in a little bit heavier than his college listings, uh, and he just crushed everything that he did yeah. uh, in terms of his workouts. He had the best three cone time, which is a, a pr- very predictive metric for running backs. Ran four four eight. Um, you know, I, I'm still skeptical that he will be like a true NFL workhorse. But I, I also think that the team that drafts him should not anticipate and probably will not anticipate using him in a role like that. He should be a guy who I think gets like 11 to 12 carries per game, four to four to six catches per game, and uh, is a really good pass blocker and the, you know, should not come off the field on passing downs. The more I watch him, Evan, the more I think he can hold up between the tackles. Like really, as a as a true first priority runner for a team because that's like all he did at Stanford and then he shined when he was allowed to go a little bit outside of that but I mean you watch that offense at Stanford he was able to run between the tackles multiple tight ends multiple fullbacks and use that vision and patience but again the frame doesn't necessarily equate that Um, I'll throw out again Zach has him as a 70th percentile athlete with his composite scores um, and I want to throw out a few other ones. Wayne Gallman was a 16th percentile. Samaje Pirine was a 24th percentile. Jamal Williams at a BYU was even a worse athlete than Dalvin Cook. Um, that Jamal Williams one is an interesting one for me because I, I keep watching him more and more. I'm not sure if you watched him at BYU yet, Evan. And I like what I saw. But, again, um, Thomas Rawls succeeded with, with, a, with a poor composite score. But it, it might be difficult for the, these other running backs to do the same thing. Wayne Gallman did not surprise me. Yeah. Uh, the he tested, that's exactly how he looks when you watch him. Atrocious pass blocker. I mean, the worst pass blocking running back in this class that I've seen. Well, see, he even picked up a few great ones down the stretch for Clemson to win that game, but that was probably his best stretch in that second half of that game. We got uh, Joe Mixon today. He crushed yep. it as expected. You know, just no questions whatsoever about his uh, on field playing ability. Marlon Mack, the dude. Uh, he did well in Indy. Uh, he was a posted top five spark results according to Zach. Uh, four flat, four five flat, ten foot five broad jump. I, I mean, I, I thought he would do a little bit better than that, um, but I mean, those are still strong marks. He's clearly an NFL caliber athlete at five foot eleven. Yeah. And there's nothing. And there's we should mention there's nothing wrong with average athleticism for a, for an NFL prospect. I mean, well, he's not average. No, right? well, he's, he's, he's at 62%, right? Yeah. And and that's guessing based on what his – he didn't do the short, short shoulder or three cone either. Um, but and, – and so when you when we mention someone who's an average NFL athlete or NFL prospect in, in terms of athleticism, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, 
it's not like 50% on a test. It's really he just is the average. So continue. Sorry for interrupting. Jeremy McNichols out of Boise State, he was a combine winner, number six spark score among running backs, five foot nine, two fourteen. I mean, that's feature back size. Uh, his best attribute coming in, we knew, was his passing game ability. 88 catches yeah. over his final two seasons at Boise State. And Pro Football Focus College chartered him with one sack allowed over his final 237 pass blocking snaps uh, at Boise. So, Have you watched him yet? I have not. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't love right. what I saw. Um, like you said, receiving ability is his best trait. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a former high school wide receiver. And some colleges even um, recruited him as a as a receiver, but he's like not a natural runner at all. In terms of uh, th- like, there are times when if he um, you know puts his head down, he can pick up two to three yards, and instead he just wants to, he he acts like it's high school and wants to break it to the sideline. Like there's this one game, can't remember who it was against. He did that on three or four occasions, which you like never see at the NFL level because NFL backs just don't do that. Um, but I, I agree. I think his receiving ability is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, but he's probably, I mean, just from paper scouting him, you know, he's scouting. I shouldn't even use that term. But just looking at him on paper, his measurables and his production and the way that he produced, Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would probably project him as uh, a, uh, you know, a passing game running back. But I'm going to watch him and, and see what I think about him. Uh, Kareem Hunt. Really disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Jones, UTEP. He uh, he's another guy that I have not watched yet, but he looks really good on paper, and I'm excited to watch him. Uh, James Connor, I think you know, based on his profile, did about as you might expect. Um, and but he's also a guy that he's coming back from Hodgkin lymphoma. Yep. And you don't know, you know, is he is he as he comes back, is he going to regain athleticism it's even one of those where he was i believe and i was told this that there were times when he would go through treatment in the morning and then go to practice like shortly after that which is absolutely nuts um i mean he's a powerful runner and i mean i keep connecting the dots here but like if the patriots lose legarrett blunt and they need a short yardage back and they don't want to invest a lot in the position, then a third-day pick on James Conner, fourth through seventh round, is likely his projection. Um, to me, that makes sense. Um, and then we're still waiting on Dante Foreman's athleticism as well. Uh, you're cool to move on to the wide receivers, Evan? Yeah, I did want to say that I think that this running back class is not as good as it was hyped to be. I agree. I agree. Okay. Just athletic-wise. Um, I mean, these runners, some of them are still absolutely going to be productive, and some that we didn't even mention, because that just is yeah. – it, it happens. That ha- um, it's opportunity um, and talent that we miss, right? But I, I, I agree that, I mean, guys like Dalvin Cook, who blew up college football testing in the ninth percentile once again, is it's concerning no matter how you look at it. Um, I'll tell you what wasn't concerning, Evan. Uh, Zay Jones, 94th percentile. Chris Godwin, 89th percentile. Taewon Taylor, 81st, 81st percentile in terms of spark scores. Three of my guys, three who I absolutely loved. And so it was really, really nice for that to align in my eyes. Um, what about you? What about from these wide receivers? Uh, Cooper Cup is a slot guy, kind of, you know, solidified himself there. That was our initial uh, assessment of him. Um, There's no way he can play outside. No, I really I mean, don't think so. He, he didn't play, again, he didn't play outside at, at Eastern Washington. Right. <laughs> and the only time they lined up outside was uh, to catch uh, wide Screen. receiver screens. Yeah. 
uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I know we don't have his agility, but I think that what he did participate in uh, was solid. Yeah. Uh, he was six foot one, two fifteen. He ran four five four, uh, ten foot broad jump. Not not a great vertical, thirty two and a half inches. Uh, but he, I don't think he hurt himself based on what he did. Uh, John Ross, you know, he blew it up. And we're still waiting. And, and it sounds like we won't even get his three cone or short shuttle. But at this point, it doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't really matter with John Ross. In in regard to the wide receiver class in its entirety. Uh, First of all, do you think that Corey Davis and Mike Williams are number one receivers in the NFL? I think Corey Davis is. I'm not sure about Mike Williams. Um, I mean, he chose not to run at the combine, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see him over a four-five-nine, and that's um, kind of hedging it a little bit. Four-six-five wouldn't surprise me, honestly, Evan. Um, but I think Corey Davis can can be a focal point of NFL passing game. Yes. Okay, so. I think that the wide receiver class was overhyped too, even though we had <laughs> great, <a bunch> of, <laughs> even though we had a bunch of winners uh, in, in Chris Godwin, uh, and I think that Juju Smith-Schuster had a solid combine, and John Ross was a winner. Um, but I think that there's just a lot of you know a lot of number two, number three receiver, yeah. and maybe only one, maybe two number one uh, wide receivers. Let's talk about Godwin for a second. And if yeah. you guys haven't listened to my podcast with Matt Harmon from a few weeks ago, you really should. Uh, I mean, he broke it down incredibly. But Chris Godwin is someone who already has a calling card to his game, an area that he dominates. Um, he's the best contested catch receiver over the last two years that Harmon charted. So you add on that factor, right, and he's fantastic along the sidelines, to the fact he's going to be just 21 years old during his rookie year. Also, with this athleticism that places him in the 89th percentile, I think at worst you see Chris Godwin go in the second round. And I think you could see him even blossom and grow as his game continues. Because I'm not sure if I saw that type of quickness and explosion out of his game other than in that one area. But, I mean, I, I do rely on these athletic tests, Evan, because I'm people say the eye in the sky doesn't lie. It does all the time. Like, people misinterpret things all the time. And I think these athletic numbers do a far better job of putting someone's athleticism in a package than my eyes do. Yeah, again, they're, it's a critical puzzle piece. It has been shown to have predictive value. To ignore it would, would just be ignorance. I mean, uh, I do yeah, think Zay Jones can play outside if, if we're talking about him versus Cooper Cup, just based on his athleticism and how he did it more at ECU than, with, with, than Cooper Cup did or Curtis Samuel did at Ohio State or that type of stuff. There have been numerous instances historically where, you know, a guy is super productive and or has great college tape and then goes to the combine and, you know, shows poorly uh, as an athlete. And that ends up being predictive for his career. I mean, Jarvis Jones is the first guy who yep. really pops to mind. Um, and I mean, there there have been numerous. I mean, La- Laquan Treadwell, I guess you would probably at this point put into that boat although I'm, I'm still holding out some hope for him i mean he's a really young guy and he was coming back from a horrible uh, leg injury yeah. and you know that looked like an injury that might you know he might need a year or two to f- truly recover from that um but yeah i mean i think that we we absolutely need to incorporate this as a pu- puzzle piece um and there were some guys in that 70th to 50th percentile in terms of spark scores that i really like um josh reynolds in the 67th i think his game aligns very much to a guy like Chris Henry from a few years ago, maybe like a decade ago for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
as a vertical threat. I still think he's kind of on that Justin Hunter, Marvin Jones spectrum. And if you get that in the third or the fourth round, I think that's awesome. Um, Carlos Henderson, who's fantastic after the catch. Um, his shuttle and three cone were not good, but maybe he's more of a stop start, um, explosive movement type, which it works that way. Curtis Samuel, 64th percentile, um, worked out with the wide receivers and not the running backs. Who knows? He might be drafted as a running back, but I think he is a much more dynamic option. Maybe not a safe, but much more dynamic option than a Cooper Cup in the slot as a receiver. And then Chad Hansen in the 53rd percentile um, out of Cal, which I know a lot of people really like his game as well. Uh, tight ends crush it, as expected. Oh, my gosh, Evan, did they crush uh, again, it? Again, every single time these guys are put under the microscope, they deliver, whether it is you're, you know, you're, you're, you're watching them play or they're working out. Uh, O.J. Howard was unbelievable. Same 40 time as Leonard Fournette at yeah. five inches taller and uh, 11 pounds heavier. Uh, the best three cone time among all tight ends in Indy. Yeah, I think he's a top ten pick potentially in that actual NFL draft. And I mean, I'm still learning about all the defensive players. I know that they're great uh, defensive players, but I mean, I think he's a second option for the Panthers. I really do. Um, number eight makes a lot of sense with him. I mean, his workout almost aligns to Greg Olson's, and at some point they're going to have to look for a replacement for Greg Olson. Let me let me wrap this in a package for you, Evan. How great this tight end class was. Um, in the last two years, there were only four tight ends across like 150-something that tested over the 72nd percentile in terms of spark scores. In this class alone, there were seven, and probably even eight when George Kittle goes through a whole workout. Like, that's double of what we've seen in the last two years combined. And those, those last two years were like no names. It was like Seth the Valve and Brian Parker. I mean, this year you have all the top ones with great skills, um, David Njoku, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram. Um, I'm excited to watch more of Bucky Hodges and Jonu Smith and some of these others. Um, I will say that I know that there is some concern or some are suggesting it that Evan Ingram now should surpass David Njoku, and I think those people are just looking at it from a 40-time perspective um, because Evan Ingram ran a ridiculous 4-4-2, but um, both were in the 93rd percentile. Same athleticism. And look, Evan Ingram, sure, he might still go in the first round top 50 picks or whatever, but every team isn't going to love him, in my opinion, as much as they love David Njoku because Njoku is a plug-and-play inline tight end, whereas a lot of teams won't know how to use a, a player like Evan Ingram. I mean, Evan Ingram is just a totally different player. So it's exactly than the other two. And it's just going to depend on what the team is looking for. I hope that the team that drafts Evan Ingram has a plan for him and does not ask him to fill a traditional tight end role. I don't think he can block in the NFL. I don't think he's big enough and I don't think he's good enough to, to, to do that. Um, and I think that the way that you maximize Evan Ingram is to use him as a receiver, uh, 94th percentile spark athlete, uh, six foot three, 234. You mentioned four, four, two, um, super productive in college, you know, liked every, like pretty much everything that I saw from him. He's a he, natural hands catcher, had some drops, but you know, that's gonna, again, that's going to happen. And I mean, he just, he has a lot of confidence in his hands and he's an incredible athlete. Uh, he's just very, very different, I think, as a player, especially from O.J. Howard. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's also very different from Njoku. It's just crazy looking at these numbers. And, again, we're looking at these on 3sigmaathlete.com um, from Zach Wetman. 
Um, and that's not even including really coveted tight end prospects like Jake Butt out of Michigan, like Jordan Leggett out of Clemson, and I really like Eric Sa- Saubert out of out of Drake. And I think Saubert's going to test like a great athlete. And then Adam Shaheen, who I mean is six six two seventy eight with athleticism, seventy two percentile spark score. Um, I think Daniel Jeremiah reported that he spoke with one team that said that he is the lockdown favorite to be the third tight end off the board coming out of Ashland. Wow. Right. And maybe even a late first round pick, maybe not anymore, but, um, that was pre combine. That's nuts. That's uh, amazing. And I mean, not very often we see someone with his, um, um, athleticism at six, six, two seventy eight. obviously, um, and it just goes to show that this tight end class and Evan, I, a lot of people are going to say that, well, you can now wait until the fourth or the fifth round because these guys are going to drop. They're going to get pushed down because of how many there are. I disagree. I think just a lot of teams and we're going to see it with the free agent money that these guys are getting paid. We're going to see these tight ends get taken early and often. And also tight end is a position where, and we've discussed this, players have a difficult time transitioning initially. We've also discussed how, I mean, I don't think that necessarily Njoku and O.J. Howard, especially O.J. Howard, will have a problem uh, with this necessarily. But, you know, these these tight ends from the smaller schools, the long, lanky, athletic tight ends, you know, I, they're going to have a, you know, are you willing to you are you willing to invest high picks in these guys that are poor bets to be immediate contributors in the pros yeah um so i don't know i i, I hear you though because they they are you know it, it's a special group and i'm with you I, I, i'm excited to watch more of bucky hodges and jordan leggett um but it, it's it, it's kind of st- it's still a dicey position even though we love this class it's still a dicey position True. because because tight ends struggle to make initial you know early career impacts and are you willing to invest high picks that in, in players that aren't going to give you very much immediate return on value. I mean, the, the rookie contracts from the second round on are four year deals. Yeah. You know, are you willing to essentially concede a year? You know, this is like where Trent bulk bulky went wrong. He was willing to concede a year with all these players. And, you know, he, 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 he didn't take into account the, you know, the, the, the mental and the physical aspects of, you know, these players getting drafted, getting big signing bonuses and setting and sitting out an entire season. Right. And, you know, pretty much all those guys failed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they really did. They had, yeah, they didn't have a single successful uh, pick from all those redshirt guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. It's definitely true. Um, This is complete tangent, but I'm amazed at how – much the on-field portion of these drills are evaluated, um, especially at the quarterback spot, and we won't have to go into talk about quarterbacks now. But I, props to you all out there that can like sit from your television and see uh, what you think is great or not and evaluate bad from good and say this guy did better than this or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think coaches do that and they're great at it. I just do not feel comfortable with that at all. Like once these guys are done running and going through all these tests, Evan, I kind of just tune out because I, I pick up nothing, nothing from this on-field stuff unless it's maybe at the running back spot with those pass-catching drills. 
Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, do you feel like watching quarterbacks in that setting? It makes no uh, sense to is me. Is helpful man. at all? I mean, but just the the conclusions that are drawn from it. Like, honestly, I I, I want to completely dismiss all things that we see from the throwing sessions at the combine and just like and justice muscada brought up johnny manzel's pro day yesterday do you remember that evan like how much of a circus it was yeah. when he went out there in yeah, full yeah. pads and, saw, and, and camo shorts like yeah. it, it was a saturday night live skit and just everyone went crazy for it like i am so over um analyzing like the throws and the misses and what the footwork and all that stuff. When these guys are done playing without pressure, without five people rushing them, without four people rushing them, all that stuff. And I think that we, we see it from a microcosm um, at, at the combine and just so many conclusions are drawn from it, but who knows? I mean, I, I, I do think that they have not value value would not be the right word, but they have an impact oh, because they definitely do. Yeah. Because Again, you know, coaches are not they don't they don't have a lot of time to be studying all the players. They're they're doing pretty much what we're doing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're going to draft breakdown. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, not not going to draft breakdown. But, you know, they're 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 doing that in their own homes and, and they're or, or at, at their own team headquarters. And they're you know, in a lot of cases, like the first time that a coach will see a guy throw is at the combine. And, and what if he I mean, he, he could look terrible at the combine yep. or he could look great. You know, and then that first impression, I think, can have an impact on the way that that uh, quarterback or, or that, you know, that that, that coach yeah. feels about that quarterback go- going forward. I mean, that that can color your your analysis, your first impression. I mean, w- you know, when I, when I was watching Leonard Fournette the first time, I thought he was terrible. And then I realized that he was he was injured. Right. You know, and I think that that's just human error. I've told you this story before, but in my cup of coffee with an NFL team when I spent um, a draft weekend with the team, um, their quarterback's coach or whoever it was um, said that he would take Blaine Gabbert over Cam Newton uh, as the number one overall pick because of how much better Blaine Gabbert um, fared in Gruden's quarterback camp than Cam did. Like – these wow. people are people. They, they, yeah, they're people, right? I mean, they and many and sure they have much more experience than we do, but they get blinded and shaded and uh, you know change their opinion based on some really weird things. And and rather than you know put these evaluations just because they come straight from the NFL on a pedestal, I think is wrong. And I could say that, and I have thousands of times. But um, yeah, they're people like just we are. And I'll, just one more thing to end on. Um, for a lot of these skill positions, maybe not wide receivers so much, but with running backs, um, more questions came out of it than answers. Not with Kamara, not with McCaffrey, but maybe with Fournette and especially with Dalvin Cook. And I'm, I'm just fascinated to see how that all plays out now with the questions that was brought up with Dalvin Cook. Meanwhile, we have Joe Mixon kind of looming there with this great pro day workout, obviously a talented film, and... I, I don't think teams want to play against him. You know what I'm saying? So I'll be very interested to see how that dynamic changes throughout the next 50 days, I guess it is. Yeah. Were you able to pick up any, and I know that this is not down your alley, but I'm curious about it because I still read and hear murmurs that Joe Mixon, you know, that that wasn't necessarily just a one-time incident. 
and people still, you know, beyond the, the one incident, there are other concerns about him just as a guy. Well, who knows? I mean, there's nothing to pick up on yet because as we're recording this podcast, now he's talking to teams, you know? Um, yeah. It wasn't like at the comp. I know Dalvin Cook was grilled. 100% Dalvin Cook was grilled whenever he was brought in for those 15 minutes with teams, right? Um, as with a ton of these other prospects, Malik McDowell, so on and so forth. Um, but, I mean, Joe Mixon, that's a big part of it where he's not part of the conversation during combine week and because he wasn't there. Now, he, he might – I know all 32 teams are at his pro day. I think he's meeting with 20-plus of them. Um, and so we'll, we'll hear more and more about it. But I, I do think, again, Evan, a big part of it is going to be GMs and coaches – going to owners, and some teams he's just not going to happen for, right? Like the Panthers, it'll never happen. Um, but a few of these other teams, they'll go to that decision maker, that head honcho, and say, look, this guy's supremely talented. We do not want to be playing against him on Sundays. Do you get my drift? We should have him on our team, and it'll be at a discount price in some scenarios. And sure, maybe that's cold. I- I'm just telling you how a lot of these football minds are going to think about this, because he's a I mean, he he truly might be the the top running back in this draft talent wise. So, get, getting that in the second or third round, I really do think he goes in that area, Evan. And I know like Tony Pauline still contends that he's not going to get drafted at all. I think second or third round is where he's going to get taken. And Pauline knows what he's what he's talking about. Oh, he does one hundred percent. He does. Um, I I just think that those conversations like what and I, I know I keep cutting you off. But we've seen it in the past with some of these situations. I'm not going to say it's a similar one, but where and, – and you talked about the top of this podcast. The scouts are information gatherers in a lot of situations and initial grades. A lot – I'm not going to say – I don't know a number of teams, but we're not going to have a determination on, Davin, on, on, on Joe Mixon until those final two or three weeks, right? And the GM, the head coach, might have closed off meetings – saying, look, if he's here, we're going to take him. And it only be between them because they don't want that information to get out, right? And and at the end of the day, it really is a decision that's only up to the head coach, only up to the general manager, and up to the owner in a number, in a number of situations and doesn't involve the scouts or some of the other execs at all. And I would say that the wild card in a lot of those situations is going to be the owner. Yep. I mean, you could get the coach on board with it, and the GM on board with it, and the owner says, hell no. Yep. You know, I mean, how many owners do you think w- would even I have no idea. okay that? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and because there's going to be the same number of media attention, no matter where he's drafted. Um, like the, the press conference, especially the next day when he's announced with that jersey, when they bring the picks, when they bring the players in and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be a ton of media there. And it, I mean, that's what's going to be in their mind just as much as the talent. Um, and, again, that's going to be the same to me if he draft, if he's drafted in the second round versus if he's drafted in the sixth round. Now, maybe their wordage and their verbiage can be different if he's drafted in the fifth or sixth round. But, again, I, I don't think he's going to get there. I, I really do think that he'll end up being a third-round pick at the latest, maybe a fourth, maybe a fourth. I would think so. Um, Evan, we could keep going. Um, this has been really fun. Again, thank you all for checking it out. Um, you can subscribe either on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. And as always, please rate and review. It helps us as we continue on through this off-season uh, portion of uh, this podcast to reach a new audience. Evan and I are going to be writing in a few weeks 
the team needs with some maybe draft projections um, that could fill those needs uh, towards the later part of March and obviously all through April. We'll have mock drafts, all that kind of stuff. Um, So thanks for checking it out. Evan, I'll talk to you next week, buddy. Looking forward to it, man. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.